Oh, it's good. We, uh, we're, it's good to be together. We're going to wrap up our sermon series in, in fear. And uh, just think back to that day. I always wonder, I wonder what the disciples must have been thinking and feeling as they watched Jesus ascend into heaven. Because this was, this would be quite a, a, an energizing thing. It would have been maybe a confusing thing. I think it surely would have been a bit disappointing at this point, the fact that Jesus was, was leaving them. If we think back to the, the, the story of, of all that the disciples have done with Jesus up to this point, we realize, I mean, he had called his followers to, them, to him and they had left everything. They left behind friends and family and jobs and communities and everything to follow in obedience to that call and invitation of Christ to follow me. And they did this and they threw their entire lot in with him. And then they saw and witnessed many different signs and wonders and miracles. And they became increasingly convinced that Jesus was not only the Messiah, the long-awaited anointed one that would be the redeemer of Israel, the nation of Israel. He was also nothing less than the very son of God himself. God made flesh. And this conviction would have encouraged them and inspired them all the way to that tragic, tragic moment in which one of their own number would have been bribed to betray Jesus, would have turned him into the authorities. And ultimately, they witnessed this Messiah, this God made flesh, this person that they had followed without reservation for a number of years, be put to death. And think a little bit of the deep valley of sorrow and grief, not only at the loss of a friend, but a loss of so many dreams and expectations. And yet that loss, as deep and bitter as it would have been, was also short-lived because three days later they became witness to that greatest miracle, the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus, that he would be the first of many that could conquer and overcome death and have this experience of the resurrection. And so, so they celebrated with Jesus as he rose again and then revealed himself to be present with his disciples. And for 40 days after that, they were able to be with him again. And surely at this point, surely now. Jesus as the Messiah, since he has conquered death, he must also be able to conquer the oppressive Roman government. He must be able to give Israel their freedom. He will be their one true king forevermore. That has to happen, right? And then now they witness Jesus leaving them differently, but leaving them again, nonetheless, for one last time. And yet as they watch him ascend into heaven, they would have been reminded of his last and final words to them. He says in Matthew 28, 20, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus was leaving, but he was leaving with his promise to be present. And that would have been, I think, a very confusing day for the disciples that would have only made sense further on. Now, when it comes to our overcoming fear, which is still what we're talking about today, I want to say that there is peace in the presence of God. That is our final lesson to hopefully paint what, what I would love to be a fairly complete picture of how we can overcome fear from a biblical standpoint. There is peace in the presence of God. And up until today, I think we've learned a lot. Our first lesson was that we need to look fear in the eye. We should not ignore fear. I mean, our fears, our anxieties, our worries, all of them make us feel very uncomfortable. And so the natural tendency is to live a life where we can avoid those situations that make us fearful. But when we look our fear in the eye, we know that they reveal what we love and what we trust the most. It teaches us a lot of lessons. We also learn that peace is found in between the pillars of God's goodness and God's control. Whenever we feel that fear is 
overwhelming us, we need to remind ourselves of those pillars of God's character. He is truly good. He cares for you. He has good things in mind for you. He loves you personally. Remind yourself of that truth. And yet we also need to remind ourselves of that other truth, that God is sovereign, that he's still on his throne, that he is in control. He is capable of following through on all of those good intentions that he has for you. Peace is found in between the pillars of God's goodness and control. We were reminded that you have grace for today, so don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. So it's easy to be fearful or anxious about what might happen to us. We can look at other people's stories and what they are enduring and put ourselves in their shoes, but we don't have what we need to deal with the things that they are dealing with. It is the manna principle that God has given us enough and just enough grace for today. And we have this and we can use it and it can get us through today. And then tomorrow, we need to return right to God to ask him for that grace and that manna that we need for the next day and the day after that and the day after that. And so when we believe that, when we live that way, we need not fear the unknowns of tomorrow. We also learn that fear reveals our allegiances. The same way that it shows what we love, what we trust, it also shows whether we have our priorities set in the kingdom of this world, the things that are right here that we can see and touch and feel, but also those things that will inevitably fall short of what we need and will let us down and are temporary and will fade. Or do we have our allegiances, our priorities in the kingdom of God, that very kingdom that Jesus came to establish, those things that will truly fulfill, that are eternal, not temporary, and will never let us down. We need to pledge allegiance to the kingdom of God. We also watched a little bit of Star Wars to learn that there was always a bigger fish, meaning there's always a bigger fear and, and our greater fears will drive out our lesser fears. But there is no greater fear than the fear of God. And by fear of God, we're talking about the awe and the reverence of the holy creator God who is greater than we can even begin to imagine. And when we recapture this reverence of God, our other smaller fears will seem distant in comparison. We learned last week that Jesus came to deliver us from the sting and the fear of death itself. And death being that final, greatest hurdle, that greatest enemy to be overcome, that largest fear of the unknown that we all share. And the last lesson today is no less crucial than all the ones that we've learned up to this point. Church, you are never alone. God has promised to be present with you. You see, this lesson is so important. It is often repeated by God in scripture. And when we see these repetitions, we know this is something that God wants to emphasize. This is something he wants to highlight for us. The same way that these important truths are things in our lives that we need to repeat. So for example, did you know that Karen is more than just the kids director here at Cernobrick? She's also my wife. So Karen is my wife and I love her dearly. And if I only told her that I loved her one day a year, she might not believe me. See, this important truth, this is something that is incredibly valuable information that I want my wife to know. I let her know that through repetition. This is important, so I will tell you today, and I'll tell you tomorrow, and I will tell you every other day as long as I can remember. It's important. That repetition means it's important. Not remember that I love her. Remember to tell her that I love her. <laughs> I was like, why are you laughing? Stick to the notes, Pastor. 
So God is doing much the same to us. He tells us over and over again that he is present with us because it's an important truth in our relationship with him. It's something that the Bible says over and over. And so when the disciples heard these words of Jesus just before he ascended into heaven, maybe they were a little less confused because it would have not been the first time they would have heard this promise from God. It would have reminded them of all the other times God has made the similar promise to his people throughout the scriptures they had available to them. Jesus' last words of being with his people would have been intimate and familiar. And so if we are to truly understand that importance of this last lesson, as simple as it is, we too need to know the depth of the immense story of God with his people, the story of God with us. And as all good stories do, this one begins in the beginning. The very beginning, in fact, with Adam and Eve, the first two created human beings in the garden. And Adam and Eve in the garden had this unique relationship with God because it was not yet stained or soiled or broken by sin. And so they had the ability in the Garden of Eden to be with God truly and completely in the fullest sense without any obstacle of sin to get in the way. And yet when sin entered the world at the fall, we see that this unique relationship of being present with God was broken. I'm going to read many different passages for you. You can try to keep up with me. And if you, if you don't uh, want to flip back and forth, you can just listen to these passages as I read them for you. The first of which is going to be Genesis 3, verse 8. This is after the fall. It says, And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And in that short verse, we learn some important information of, of what life would have been like before sin entered the world. We know that, that it would not be uncommon for God, the creator of the universe, to walk in the garden in the cool of the morning. It was not uncommon for Adam and Eve to be in the very direct presence of the Lord. And yet because of this sin, because now of their shame, they were afraid of God and they hid from his presence. Sin broke the relationship of God being present with his people. And Adam and Eve now were fearful for the very first time in their lives. And because God is holy and cannot abide by sin, then, then Adam and Eve were not only afraid, but they were driven from the garden. That was one of the consequences of their sin. And this is, is more than just symbolic. They were, they were truly removed from that direct presence of God. They can no longer be present with him. And that garden, God's presence was even guarded by an angel with a flaming sword. The relationship of presence had been broken. And yet God would be undeterred. He would be motivated. He would be driven to find a way to fix this relationship and to once again be present with his people. The beginning of that redemptive story picks up with the man Abram, where God makes a covenant with him that Abram would become a great nation. They would become God's chosen people, what we refer to as the people of Israel. They would be his people and he would be their God. And this covenant promise was given to Abraham, but we have to go a generation after that to Isaac to find this direct promise of God's presence with his covenant people. It's found in Isaac's story, and Isaac has now inherited this covenant promise of God, but things are not going well. 
For Isaac, now there's been a severe famine in the land, which has caused him to be nomadic. He's had to uproot his family and all of their livestock and their wealth, and they now need to go and to, to move to where there is actually rain and where there's actually water. And so not only do they need to be nomadic, but where they find themselves arriving, the people are hostile to them. And they'll dig a well, and the people that are native to that area would come and claim the well for their own, or would fill the well so no one could use it. And so Isaac is now fearing for his life. He's fearing for the livelihood of his people and his livestock. He's fearing for the very covenant that God had given his father, Abraham. And listen to the promise that God gives Isaac in the midst of this trouble in Genesis 26, verse 24. And the Lord appeared to Isaac that same night and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father. Fear not. There's that command. Fear not. Why? For I am with you and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So now in the story of Isaac, we know that God's presence not only drives out fear, Fear not, for I am with you. But it was also the proof of his promises. It says, I have said I will do this for you, but the, the reason you can trust that, the reason you can rely on it is because I am present with you. I am here beside you. I, the Lord God, will see this through. And in Isaac's story, we see that God still desires to be present with his people and that the presence of God drives out our fear. And for Isaac, this was a, a promise that God stayed true to. He provided for him and his family, and he continued to provide for his covenant people through Isaac and through, through Jacob, who became Israel, and then through Joseph. And it was during Joseph's lifetime in which there was an even more severe famine in the land, and God, through his sovereignty, paved a very unorthodox way for the people to go to Egypt because he had raised up Joseph there. And so the, the, the people of Israel came to Egypt Egypt, and they thrived there until there was a new problem, until there was more turmoil, until there was a new fear. And a Pharaoh arose in Egypt who did not know Joseph, who did not know all that he had done for the people of Egypt, who had no respect for the Lord, the God of Israel. And he enslaved the people of Israel. And it wasn't until Moses and the Exodus in which God heard the pleas of his people and freed them from slavery. And as God moved in majesty and power through the supernatural uh, happening of the 10 plagues, <laughs> those 10 plagues that at some point the, the sorcerers of Pharaoh's court could no longer keep pace with this God Almighty. Yes, God led his people to freedom and his, he led his people out of Egypt by his presence. And as they experienced their freedom for the first time in hundreds of years, they had no idea what to do, no idea where to go. It was no less than God's presence that led them in the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Church, wouldn't it be wonderful to have witnessed this? I always think that words can't do it justice, that the very presence of God would have been there visible as a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And the people of Israel followed him led by Moses, but most importantly, led by the presence of God. And later, as the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, God would command Moses and the people to build him a tabernacle, which would be his throne room on earth. This would truly be a place where God's presence on earth could reside. And the tabernacle was built as a reflection of God's heavenly throne room. And then when it was built, God's presence resided in the Holy of Holies. Listen to what happened once this tabernacle was completed in Exodus 40, verses 34 to 38. Then the cloud 
covered the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in sight of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. In a very real, tangible, visible sense, God was present in the midst of his people. In fact, once that tabernacle was completed, whenever they set up camp, the tabernacle would be in the center of camp, and then the tribes would camp around it, and God was in the midst, in the middle of his people, in that cloud of his presence. But it was not in God's plan for his people to be permanently those who would move around and be nomadic. He had promised them the land of Canaan. That was the promised land. So when it came time for the Israelites to conquer the promised land, no longer, no longer under the leadership of Moses, but now under a new leader, Joshua, God again gave them the promise of his presence. Uh, from a verse that is often uh, quoted, very familiar to many of us, Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, there was a lot to frighten the children of Israel. When they spied out this promised land, they found that there were heavily fortified cities that would be incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to conquer. And they saw the might. There were giants in the land. And the military prowess of those who God was calling them to defeat seemed insurmountable. And they were afraid. And God knew they would be afraid. And so he gave them this promise. I am with you. So be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. God's presence not only commanded or, or the Israelites to not be fearful, but it empowered them to conquer the land that he had given them. And yes, it took them a while and it was not a straight line, but the promised land was eventually conquered and Israel became a nation, a nation that eventually would have kings. And as, as Israel flourished as a kingdom, David and the other psalmists continually sang of this connection between God's presence and the absence of fear. Some familiar psalms like Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why, church? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And later on, we read in Psalm 118, verses 6 and 7. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. You see, both of these Psalms understand that hardships will arise. David is talking about the valley of the shadow of death. This is something that is about grief and mourning and sorrow. The other Psalm is about people who, who hate the psalmist, who oppose the psalmist. Yes, they know that there will be grief. They know that there will be opposition. Yes, but it is still true that God walks beside us during those dark times. His rod and his staff, his, his power comforts us. His help comforts us. His presence comforts us in the middle of the valley and in the middle of hardship. 
as we look at the story of the kingdom of Israel, we know that King David was not given uh, the responsibility to build a permanent temple, but his son, King Solomon, was. And so eventually, King Solomon made a permanent home for the presence of God by building his temple. The temple was a permanent structure that was very similar to the tabernacle and had the exact same purpose, to, to be this throne room, this earthly throne room for God. And look what happened once the temple was completed in 1 Kings 8, 10, and 11. When the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? Is not, not the exact same thing that happened when Moses and the Israelites completed the tabernacle? The cloud is the presence of God, and the presence of God was with his people, residing in the holy of holies, seated on his throne. And there comes Jesus. And as is often the case when we preach through any story from beginning to end of Scripture, Jesus changes everything. And while he changes everything, he also keeps the story of Scripture the same. This is what I mean. Listen to the way that John describes the coming of Christ in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 14. He says, And the Word, being Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. One of my favorite verses, because the Greek word for dwelt is the same word for tabernacle. It is the verb form of tabernacle. So Jesus came and tabernacled with us. Jesus came and brought God's presence to us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, God with us fully in the flesh. This was, connection was made more clear when Jesus breathed his last hanging upon the cross. And when he gave up his spirit, when he died to be that perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins. And for once and for all, that, that obstacle of sin that was ushered in at the fall by Adam and Eve was now made clear, made clean, was removed by Jesus. The veil in that temple was torn in two. You see, whether it was the tabernacle or the temple, that holy of holies where God's throne was, where that Ark of the Covenant was, where his presence resided, always was removed from the people. There was always that veil that was protecting an unholy people from the presence of a holy God. And when Jesus died for our sins, that veil, that barrier, that obstacle to God's presence was torn completely in half. We are now able to be back into the presence of God. That is the reminder that the story gives us. So let's go back to all the way to the beginning of the sermon. Jesus is ascending into heaven. He is leaving his followers, yet he is also promising to be present. How is this possible? Even today, we have this tension between the absent and the presence of Jesus. It's only possible through the abiding of the Holy Spirit. Something John again makes clear further on in his gospel in chapter 14, picking up in verse 16. Jesus says, before he ascends, he says this to his followers, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I love this last sentence. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
Church, you are not an orphan. You are never alone. You have, through Jesus, the presence of his spirit in your life, abiding in you, dwelling in you, and that same powerful majesty of the presence of God that overwhelmed and overshadowed those who tried to minister in the tabernacle and the temple is now the same presence of God that is with you wherever you go. And as author Edward Welch would remind us, the spirit is the presence of Jesus to us. Truly, God with us. As we continue to read through the New Testament, Paul reveals the relationship between the presence of Jesus and fear in this new covenant world. What does this have to do with being afraid? What has the exact same thing to do as it did through all those other stories we've listened to and learned from today? Paul describes it this way in Philippians 4, and it would truly be an incomplete sermon series on fear and anxiety if I never quoted from Philippians 4. Paul says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, church, we often do ourselves a disservice when we quote this, um, quote this group of verses because we often start with, do not be anxious about anything. But that's not where Paul starts. That's halfway through a sentence. How does that sentence begin? The sentence begins by saying, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. God is with you. God is present. Therefore, do not be anxious about anything. It's the same sentence. It is the same connection that we have seen from Isaac, from Joshua, from David, to Jesus, and now from Paul to us. This all comes from the grand story of God being present with his people, and it hammers home this important point. As God's presence increases, fear decreases. And if I could boil it down to a very simple, even formula for us today, I would say this. God's presence is greater than our fear. God's presence is greater than our fear. This is true in the life of Isaac, when he didn't know how he would find water to feed, or to, to, to water to survive for his family and his livestock. It was true for Joshua, as he did not know how he would overcome the military might of the people of Canaan. It was true for David as he was grieving the loss of those that he loved in the valley of the shadow of death. It was true for Paul as he was writing Philippians while in prison. And it's true for us today. God's presence is greater than our fear. So it's a very simple lesson as we wrap up this series, but one that I so, so want you to be locked into through, through the beginning and end of scripture. You are part of a grand story. This is not some one-off, oh, God's present with you. God is with you. That's, it's never something that we should take for granted. It's never something we should take lightly. But there are some other questions that um, wants us to ask. How can we lean on God's presence to overcome fear in our lives today? Well, there's two ways I think we can do this. One is, how do we react when fear comes up? So when we are afraid, we can run into the comforting arms of our Heavenly Father. I mentioned last week, for those of you that were there or watching online, I mentioned last time that, that as, a, as a young child, I would often be overwhelmed with these ideas and thoughts of eternity. And when I would feel overwhelmed and afraid, the one place I wanted to go is to be with my parents. And so 
as luck would have it, I could run down the hall and jump with them into their waterbed. Any, any other parents have waterbeds back then? I loved it. In fact, I always got a little excited when I was going to go. I was like, I'm going to jump real high this time. <laughs> I'm here, parents. Comfort me. <laughs> they had a waterbed. It was great. I loved it. And uh, I, needed to, to, I needed to be with them. It was only, and I needed to be with them. I didn't just need to hear from them. I just didn't even need to hear them uh, come from, from my, it wasn't good enough for them to come and talk to me. I needed to be with them in order to feel less afraid. And I don't think I'm alone because now I've got uh, some kids of my own. And wouldn't you know, they want the exact same thing. When they wake up afraid in the middle of the night, they'll come and they'll jump right into the middle of our not water bed. And then they'll come in and they'll they'll, they'll snuggle right under the covers and they'll wake us up and they'll bring those really cold, clammy hands and feet and shove them right up against us. But there's something very true about that moment. Where yes, it's quite annoying to be woken up in the middle of the night. Yes, I'm excited already for when they will be calm enough to go back to their own bed. But it means so much to me as a father that being with me is something that will comfort them and bring them peace. And this is all just a mild reflection of what God, our Heavenly Father, can offer us. He says, I am good. I am sovereign. I am loving. I am with you. Come to me and you will find peace from your fear. You can run into the comforting arms of your Heavenly Father. And yet there is so much more that we can do. Yes, there are times that come up when we are afraid, but there are things that we can do even before we are afraid that I believe will help us uh, to, to be, uh, to just overcome in those moments. So I would say this, before we are afraid, we can cultivate a relationship with God that are, increases our awareness of his presence. So notice what I didn't say. I didn't say that we can become more emotionally aware of God with us. I'm not saying to just feel like God is more present with you. Because if this all boils down to our emotions, then church, we are far too easily swayed. We can feel like God is close at one point, and we can feel like he's further away at the, at the next. And that has nothing to do with the truth of the matter. This is not to manipula- manipulate our emotions. Nor is this a magic trick to make God come closer. Truly, what we've learned from the story of Scripture is that God has done everything necessary to be ever-present with us. He can't come any closer to you, church. He's already here. He is already with you. He is not at our beck and call. No, I say very intentionally, we need to cultivate our relationship with God. Cultivate just like we would cultivate a garden or a crop to, to bear good fruit. The other day, Karen was showing me some of her garden, not just at home. She has these garden boxes at home, but she also has a garden box out at the Steinbeck Family Resource Center. And it's just, it's just overwhelming. All the stuff that's growing in there and all those carrots that we're just now starting to eat. And I just can't wait for more garden carrots. But the reason things grow so well is because, because Karen was caring for those things. She would go and she would, she would take the weeds out or she would plant everything according to, to what she was uh, learning from Bev, how she should do it. And so she would learn from Bev and she would follow Bev's directions and then plant it just so. And, then, and you need to do everything you can to make sure it gets uh, enough water but not too much and enough sun but not too much. And, and, and you're not in control. You can't force those things to grow. You can't force that to happen but you cultivate it. You put time and energy and focus and love, and then you watch it grow in your life. 
Relationships are like that. We cultivate our relationships with each other very similar to the way that we would cultivate a garden. And the main thing that we need, not sunlight and not water, we need to be present with the people that we love. That's how we cultivate those relationships. We've had a few conversations with many of you. We're looking forward to the fall. We're, we're, we're hoping, we're, we're, we're banking on the fact that we're not going to have any restrictions, but we don't know. We don't know what the fall is going to entail. And so as we've talked about some of these unknowns, we've also been thinking back onto some of those different seasons in which life looked very different for a while. And as our family has looked back on all of those times in which we could not do everything we wanted to do, we realized that there were some silver linings in all of that. The silver lining for Karen and myself was that we got to spend more time together. And so as we look back on some of the hardships, we also realized that that time spent together helped us cultivate our relationship. We believe that our marriage is stronger now, and that had something to do with just not having anything else to do but to be with one another. All of our relationships need that type of intentionality, especially our relationship with God. So church, I would encourage you to pray honestly and to pray often, to be present with a God that's already present with you and to sit with him and to talk with him and to listen to him. And as your relationship with God is strengthened, you will more easily trust his promise that he is with you always, especially when you are afraid. And so no longer when these things come up, will they overwhelm you? No longer will you have to go run to him because you're already resting in the arms of a God who is with you. And here is the promise of God with us. The promise of God with us is not that we avoid our troubles or our sorrows. The promise of God with us is not that we receive health and wealth. The promise of God with us is not that all of our plans will come to fruition just the way that we want them to. The promise of God with us is that no matter what happens today or tomorrow or any of the tomorrows after that, is that you are never alone. I am with you always, says Jesus to his followers, even to the end of the age. And as the music team comes forward, I want to let you know that there is still one more chapter of the story of God with us. There is one more thing we are looking forward to of God's presence with his people that we still anticipate. And in this way, it's a beautiful story, the story of scripture, because it, began, it ends much the same way that it began. We find ourselves back in the garden, back with God and his people. No sin, no obstacle, no temple, just God and his people. This is what we read in Revelation 21, 22. John is seeing this vision. He says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. No more temple, no more tabernacle, no even tension of this presence of absence or presence of Jesus. It's just God, truly with his people, in fullness and in glory, in power and in peace. So the most final and crucial lesson for all of us here this morning is that in God's presence, you will find peace today and forever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for how much you care about us, your people, for all that you've done to be present with us, your people, that you sacrificed your one and only son so that you could be with us. We did not, we do not deserve that but it is your heart towards us. So God, I pray that we would choose to trust in that sacrifice of Jesus, that sacrifice that removed that obstacle, tore it in half so we could be with you. 
God, there is no self-help that we can use to truly overcome fear. It is your spirit, your strength, and your presence at work in our lives. So God, if there is anyone here today that is still overwhelmed or enslaved to fear or to sin, I pray today would be the day that they would place this trust in Jesus so they too could be called a child of God. Amen.